At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Well, Merry Christmas. I want to begin tonight by sharing a story of a gift that I received when I was young. It was one of those gifts that would not necessarily fit under the tree. And so my parents had to get creative. They had to do a little something different. So what they did is they found a kind of a smallish package and they put it in the back of all of the Christmas tree uh, presents. And so I kind of worked my way through, got to the end of the, the Christmas morning experience and there's this little package in the back. Not really sure what it is, no idea. Tear into it, open it up, and there's a note inside the package. And that note says, go to the garage. So I walked out with my mom and my dad, and we opened up the garage door, and right in front of me was a classic go-kart. All right, now... This photo isn't exactly the go-kart that I had, uh, but I will tell you, I did a little bit of research, and uh, you can't find them. I am, in fact, that old that you can't find those classic go-karts any longer. This that my dad had purchased and rebuilt for me was a 1960s Gus Bradley go-kart from a place that you may have heard of, the older folks among us, a place called Sears. (laughs) This red go-kart was exactly what I wanted until I drove it. You see, the engine sputtered. The steering was incredibly tight. And it had kind of slicks on it. And so the tires didn't really get any traction. No matter what I would do, I couldn't couldn't do what I wanted to behind the wheel of my go-kart. And so in spite of my dad's best efforts... My cool little go-kart never did really work all that well. But Christmas gifts are like that sometimes, aren't they? Christmas gifts are like that when we do the research, we compare the prices, we read the reviews, we do everything that we can to figure out what it is that we want for Christmas. We tell our family, we tell our friends, and we finally get the gift. And it disappoints us. The shiny new toy, the fancy piece of new technology, it fails to deliver on the promise. You guys ever experienced that before? The truth is, when we're talking about disappointment, it comes in much bigger sizes and shapes than a Christmas gift. Oftentimes, we will work our entire lives to get that job, and we get into that job, and we have that opportunity, and it is not at all what we expected. It's a disappointment. Or we've been praying and hoping that we could have this type of relationship, and we enter into that relationship, and it's a disappointment. Or perhaps there's something bigger. I mean, really, as we come here on Christmas Eve, maybe you guys feel that way about God. 
Maybe you feel that you've heard all the stories, you've heard the the children tell the story of the baby coming in a manger, the star, you, you know the story. Wherever you walk around in in stores or driving through neighborhoods, you see those words, there's peace and there's joy, there's hope, but you're not experiencing it. And so even though you're here on Christmas Eve, you might be experiencing a little bit of disappointment with God, that the Christmas story doesn't maybe pack the punch that you hoped that it would. Well, today, what we're going to be doing is looking at a passage of Scripture that helps you and I understand that the promise of Christmas is, in fact, better, better than maybe what we have experienced to this point. You see, over the the course of the last few weeks, specifically during the month of December in our Advent series, we've been examining five promises or covenants that God has established with His chosen people. And so, throughout the Old Testament, you see a covenant with Abraham and with David, and you move through the Old Testament, and they point to something significant. It is this overarching structure of the Bible. It's a story of redemption, and it's a significant story in human history. And here on Christmas Eve, what we're going to do is we're going to consider the high point of that covenant narrative. We've read those from the Old Testament, and they all point to the significance of the new covenant, and that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. So I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. We're going to be turning to Jeremiah chapter 31, looking specifically at verses 31 through uh, 34. And as you're turning there, I'll tell you it is on page 660 in the ESV Bible, if that is what you are utilizing. Uh, 660, again, we are looking at Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through uh, 34. Here's what Jeremiah writes. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord." For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, and after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of these to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Sounds like great news, doesn't it? That's because it is. That's because it is. You see, in a world where we have gotten inundated throughout the last year with negative news and bad news and and things that wear us down. What we just looked at is the best news you've heard in a long time. Now, here's why. Because it's good news 
not because of what you bring to the equation. What we just looked at is good news, not because of what you and I contribute to that narrative. That's not why it's good news. In fact, what we just read is good news precisely because we don't. Precisely because we bring nothing to that story. We bring nothing to that equation. In fact, it is our struggle. It is our promise breaking. It is our sin that actually unites us with God's people in this Old Testament narrative. You see, the original audience that Jeremiah is speaking to with these words, that's who we connect with. Now, here's the reality. I just rattled off the name Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was a prophet. I'm going to say that one more time. Jeremiah was a prophet. You guys know what a prophet does? It's a pretty significant, uh, pretty significant role. It's not what you might think, however. An Old Testament prophet was one who would come alongside God's chosen people, and he would speak directly to them and say, I want to challenge you in your lifestyle. I want to speak against what it is that you're doing and what it is that you're experiencing. So if you are walking this way, I want to call you to repentance and going in the other direction. That's what a prophet would do. So if you think you have a bad job, let me just tell you, here's what it shakes out like. You get up and you say, hey, stop doing that thing you're doing. You're breaking God's promise. He said he would be your God and you were to walk in faithfulness and he wants you to stop. But he doesn't just want you to stop the behavior. It's not just behavior modification. What he is calling you to is to repentance and belief in him. Return to him. Each day Jeremiah would get up and make himself a pot of coffee and go out and tell everyone that what they were doing isn't right. That sounds like a great gig, doesn't it? What you're doing is not pleasing to God. And so repent and return to Him. Let's take a deeper look and see exactly what Jeremiah is communicating here in our text. Let's pick it up at verse 1. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's not like that covenant that I made with your fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And my covenant, oh yeah, that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. You see, clearly Jeremiah's job calling God's people to repentance is needed because God's people had not walked in faith. They were not walking in obedience. They had turned their back upon God and upon His promises. And so what Jeremiah is doing is he's saying, hey, I've got news for you. Judgment awaits. Captivity in Babylon is in your future unless Unless God does something completely new and completely different. And that's exactly why this passage is so significant and is such good news for us today. Because with the struggles of God's people clearly in view of what has happened previously, what we find here 
are three reasons that you and I can trust the promises of God. And the first reason is that we need help keeping our promises. You and I need help to keep our promises. Now, if I were to take a microphone and walk around the worship center right now and just say, how are you doing this year on keeping your promises? Most of us would probably be like, I'm doing okay. Maybe not batting a thousand, but I'm doing okay. Probably wouldn't want to admit our real score, would we? I'm going to give you a few things to evaluate here to get a real perspective on what it is that we're talking about in terms of faithfulness of keeping our word. Let's begin with this one. Have you ever told someone, hey, I'll get right back with you on that? Week goes by. You get an email. Oh, yeah, I didn't do that, did I? You didn't keep your word. Let's make it a little bit more holy, a little more spiritual. How about those of us who have looked at someone when they've shared a negative thing or something going on in their life that's been difficult, and we look at them with all sincerity, and we say, I'm going to pray for you. And a week goes by, a couple weeks goes by, you see them, and, uh-oh, I never prayed for them. It happens, doesn't it? Or how about this big one? Oftentimes when we get to that kind of fork in the road and we make the negative decision, we make the choice that is incorrect and wrong and we say to God, I promise I will never do that again. I will not do that thing. And then we do it. It happens. Even with our best intentions in mind, you and I need help keeping our promises. We need help keeping these promises. You see, at our core, you and I are promise breakers, not promise keepers. We're promise breakers. You might say, well, gee, Pastor, that's encouraging here on Christmas Eve. I want you to know that God in this text reveals to us that he understands our plight. But here's the best part. It isn't just an understanding. It isn't just, oh, I see you. What he he does then, he comes over and he pats us on the head and says, it'll be fine. It's not fine. So God does something about it. So God did something about it specifically. Let's continue on in the text to see exactly what this is. Let's pick up the story of Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they, they shall be my people. Now if that phrase, I will be their God and they shall be my people, sounds familiar, that's good, it should sound familiar. Because what God is doing here is He is reestablishing the covenant that He made with, his, with their forefathers, only He's doing it with a very and significant set of parameters. They're very different. You see, the new covenant, the new covenant that God has initiated is guaranteed by His ability to do for the people what we could not do for ourselves. It rests upon God. Where you and I fail, God succeeds. Where you and I lack faithfulness, God is faithful. Where God's people 
couldn't follow the law. God provides a new way. He provides a new way. Now, most of us are familiar with that picture of Moses coming down off the mountain with those big tablets, right? Ten commandments written on those things. God now writes that law on our hearts, on the hearts of men and women and children. He writes it upon our hearts. You'd say, well, why? I mean, the whole heart thing is kind of a a Christian churchy thing to say. Why does he write it upon our hearts? He writes it on our hearts because our heart is not simply the seat of our emotions. That's how we understand it. But the reality is the, the heart is also the power position of the human will. It's the power position. It's the power seat of the human will. The heart is the place where you and I have conviction. It is where you and I have character. It is where you and I do our choosing and our deciding. It happens in our heart. And that's why he puts it right there. In that place at the center of our will. You see, Jeremiah informs God's people that he's not just given them a new law. It's not just a series of, uh, of lists now that you have to keep up. Instead, what he does is he says, I have a way that you can live in accordance with that law. It's new. And this provides the second reason that you and I can, in fact, trust the promises of God. Because what we really need is a new heart and we need a new identity. You and I both need a new heart and a new identity. Now, I say this because every single person in this room has a fundamental issue. We have issues, you could say. We all have a heart issue because we will never choose the way of God on our own. Will not happen. We are filled with sin. It simply will not happen that we would choose the way of God unless God does a transformative work in our hearts. It's the only way it happens. You see, God must draw us to Himself. God must allow us to see just a glimpse of His glory. He must allow us the opportunity to experience just a measure of His grace. And what we do then is we respond. We respond in faith. We respond in faith. For it is only through this heart-wrenching, gut-level, fully surrendered faith that you and I actually receive the new heart and the new identity. Friends, this only happens when we place our faith in the baby who came on Christmas Eve. That only happens when we place our faith in the baby, Jesus, who is the Christ, the one who was born in that humble stable, the one who was born both fully God and fully man, the one who was born to die as a sacrifice for you and for me, sinners. But here's the question. Do you know this Jesus in faith? Have you met the baby who grew up to live the life that was perfect and sacrificed that for you 
Have you repented of your ways and turned to him in belief? Has God given you a new heart and a new identity? I can think of no better way to end 2020 than for that to be true of you. Perhaps today is your day where you would turn from your ways and run to God in repentance and faith. Perhaps today, Christmas Eve 2020. Now let's look at the final portion of today's text to see why this saving faith makes all the difference. Let's look at verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. (laughs) Church, that's the promise of the new covenant. That is the promise that you and I receive through faith in Jesus Christ. We are given a new and believing heart. We are part of a new covenant-keeping community, and that's our new identity. You see, God also secures our future. This text helps us see that God also secures our future for those who know the Lord. But here's what's very important that each one of us grab a hold of. Because it is through faith that we become covenant keepers and promise keepers. Not because of our personal righteousness, not because of what I bring to the equation, I'm a holy guy. No. Not because of my ability or your ability to keep the covenant promises rather on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ who has already done it when he bore your sin on the cross. And it is because of Jesus. It's because of Christ that God's people can trust that the promise of God's forgiveness is secure. In Christ, the promise of God's forgiveness is secure. You see, believers can trust this through Jesus' virgin birth. We can trust this through His spotless life. We can trust this through His sacrificial death on the cross. And we can trust this because of His glorious resurrection. That's why we can trust this. Because Jesus has, in fact, fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament covenant. He's the fulfillment of it. It's in Christ. What God's people failed to do, Jesus does on our behalf. You see, the promises that God's people couldn't keep, Jesus kept. That's the significance of the new covenant. And that's why When we gather on Christmas Eve and we consider the coming of Jesus into our world, it is, in fact, the ultimate gift. It is, in fact, a gift that does not disappoint. Unlike my cool red go-kart and unlike those shiny toys and the fancy tech that you're going to open up within the next 24 hours, the new covenant truly delivers on its promises. And that's why we can sing 
and we can speak of and we can engage with those words that are so synonymous with the Christmas season. Hope and joy and peace. They are real and they are real for your life and mine today. So here on Christmas Eve, And in the weeks and months and the year ahead, may you experience the reality of the new covenant that we have in Christ. It is a covenant promise from God that will never fade away. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.